You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. Welcome in. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, and I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, recording from the great city, Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the frozen tundra. Man, it's cold here these days. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. So glad to have you. Thanks for downloading. Thank you for allowing me to have a voice in your life. This is episode 269, and I'm going to be answering two emails in this one uh, episode that uh, were closely related in topic. We're going to be talking about microevolution versus macroevolution. I've touched on this in previous episodes, and I think it's important to uh, address it again and bring some clarity based on the two emails that I recently received. Hey, before we get to the content, quick reminder about the importance of ratings and reviews. If you are a listener of the podcast uh, of any regular basis and you've found us to be insightful or helpful, can you please, please, please do me a huge favor? Head on on over to whatever app or directory you are using. Leave a five-star rating or review. Tell the world you love the podcast. Uh, if you don't love the podcast, then don't leave a review. It's cool. Uh, you can ignore this. But for those of you who love the podcast, head on over. Leave a great review. Those are a big help. In essence, they help us reach more people. So thank you in advance. All right, let's get to the topic at hand. So over the last several months, I've gotten several emails on the topics that I've been covering on things related to creation, evolution, uh, naturalism, things of that nature. And uh, most of the emails are emails. I've just been I've been corresponding with people kind of one on one, several dozens of emails, it feels like over the last several months. And so mostly just been more one on one. But there's been two emails that came in recently that I thought were uh, really worth addressing in an episode. So the first one comes from uh, Isabel. She's coming, sending me an email from the UK. So she's on the other side of the pond. Sent me a really long email. Starts off with some really, really encouraging words. So Isabel, thank you so much. Glad you found the podcast uh, on Spotify, which is really cool. So those of you who don't know, by the way, the podcast is on Spotify as well. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read a portion of this. She sent a, a lot, a, kind of a long email about a lot of different questions, but the one portion I'm going to read is this. She says, um, uh, I have a couple of things that I've been struggling with recently that I hopefully maybe would help me with. Uh, during studying biology, we were learning about taxonomy as a man-made classification system to categorize living organisms. And down the line, when it gets to... Uh, Species, in terms of evolution, an organism is defined as a different species once after a lot of mutations and evolving of the organism has taken place, it becomes so different that it is unable to reproduce fertile offspring with the species it was originally associated with. By this logic, different species or types of organisms are only defined by this man-made classification system. So I struggle with the theories of micro versus macro evolution because it seems as if it relies on a type of organism being predetermined by nature and not by man. I found this difficult to explain. Hope that makes sense. Uh, Isabel, yes, that makes perfect sense. Um, I hope I'm able to explain that here in this episode. The other email I got was from a guy named Wesley 
And Wesley says, hey, I just listened to your podcast 249 about evolution. And you said that we should certainly believe in microevolution. Do you have any scriptures that can support microevolution? Okay, these are two very good questions. Uh, I'll address them. And for anyone who's not familiar with these concepts of macroevolution and microevolution, or if you're not familiar with the difference and distinction between these two concepts, uh, I'll break that down here and kind of unpack it a little bit. Uh, before I do that, I do think it's important to note that there, there are significant chunks of the scientific community that, in essence, uh, disagree with the distinction between these two things, that will say there is no difference between micro and macro. It pretty much is all microevolution and you know there's a bunch of small changes that eventually lead to the large scale adaptations and evolutionary changes that you are calling macroevolution but there are some people that refuse to acknowledge the distinctions however i disagree with that and i do believe it is valuable to call out the distinction in the different types of evolution that are that are being talked about and being promoted in different circles Basically, macroevolution uh, is the concept that animals or creatures evolve over the course of a long period of time into the point where they become totally different kinds of animals altogether. Um, and so the popular naturalistic uh, Darwinian model of evolution states that pretty much all creatures and animals on planet Earth today all evolved from a one single cell organism or from single cell organisms, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of years ago on planet Earth. Um, and that this single cell organism mutated and adapted to its environment and over the course of generations continue to mutate and mutate and mutate. And eventually those mutations and adaptations uh, eventually lead to, you, know, you get down the line far enough where it's a completely different species altogether and eventually you get to human beings and you get to all the other creatures and animals that are here on planet Earth today. That is the kind of the popular Darwinian model. Um, microevolution is the concept that things evolve or change within their own kind um, and they may adapt and evolve and mutate to the point where they become a different species or, or they, they become so different that we would label them as a different species. There might be a better way to say it. Um, but there is a difference. And so I can understand where it may seem like, well, microevolution is just mutations and changes. And eventually the animals become a different species. Given enough time, they're going to become a drastically different kind of animal altogether. Uh, just give it enough time, that's, that's going to happen. And so how do you d draw a line between macroevolution and microevolution? It's a great question. And I will concede that the line is definitely much fuzzier than what maybe some people would have you believe. It's definitely blurrier than maybe, maybe even I made it out to be a few episodes back. And, and I apologize if that wasn't as clear as, as I should have been. I'm going to answer this by giving you some knowledge that I have recently acquired. I think you guys have probably heard me mention this on a podcast. I am in the process of taking some courses uh, in the field of genetics. I'm working toward a, a certificate. Uh, most of my higher education training has been in the world of psychology and theology, um, but but I just sort of set out to randomly study the field of genetics just for my own personal enrichment and knowledge. And you've heard me say multiple times in the podcast before that I am not a scientist. However, 
because of my studies in the realm of genetics recently, I do feel confident to speak to this to some extent. And so I'm going to use that knowledge uh, to answer this question. When I study the genetic codes and the DNA structures of all different animals, as I've been doing in, in my recent studies, what, what we see is that from generation to generation, genetic code gets rearranged or pieces of the genetic code drop out and that causes mutations. So outwardly, you may see an animal. Um, you may see one particular animal then give birth to another animal and the, the, the next generation looks different or has some mutation. So it looks to us like they've evolved to being a, a different animal potentially, or they've added some trait that seemingly is unique. So it seems like maybe in some cases, because the traits are helpful to that particular animal in some way or another, it may seem like it was some, uh, evolution in a positive direction that maybe some some new genetic information was added to their code but when we actually study the genetic code that's not what we see let me give you a really simple example and again i'm going to overly simplify this it's going to sound somewhat anti-intellectual i don't mean it to be i'm just trying to make it as simple as possible for for everyone to, to understand when you study genetic codes you realize that they can be incredibly complex and there is a lot, a lot of information. For example, human beings, an average human being will have anywhere from uh, 19,000 to 21,000 different genes. Uh, there are some geneticists that say it could be as much as 24,000 to 25,000, but most people say you have about, about 20,000 different genes in your, uh, in your system, in your DNA. And every single gene... Um, has genetic information, has a code, you know, has the, the, the structures that make you who you are. And each gene can have a different number of pieces of information. Some genes may just have a few hundred pieces of information, where some human genes have uh, up to two million different pieces of information. So you may have one gene that's got hundreds of thousands, if not into the millions of different pieces of information attached to that one particular gene, which will then dictate, you know, your traits. A typical human being uh, can have more than three billion different pieces of genetic information that make you who you are. And different animals and different creatures have different amounts of information. A simpler organism is going to have maybe just a few hundred thousand pieces of information. Uh, different animals and creatures are going to have, in some cases, hundreds of millions of pieces of genetic information. And animals that are maybe closer to humans or, or as complex in some cases as humans are, are going to have into the billions. Again, human beings have about 3 billion or more pieces of genetic information in our genetic code spread out between all of our genes. And as we study creatures that have seemingly evolved, what we see is that pieces of information drop out from generation to generation or sections of the genetic codes get rearranged. 
but what we don't find is new pieces of information. So let me give you a silly, easy example because trying to explain this, you know, because as I said, there are billions of pieces of genetic information in a human being. Trying to explain this might be difficult. So let me give you a really, really simple, very elementary understanding of this. Okay, let's say we have a particular animal or particular creature that has a particular genetic code. Let's say the genetic code for this creature is A, B, C, D. Now, again, as I told you before, it's far more complex than that, but let's just, for, for ease sake, the genetic code for this animal is A, B, C, D. Well, that animal gives birth, and then there's more animals, and eventually you go down multiple generations, and you have a descendant of the original animal, but the genetic code has, has now changed to some extent. Rather than being A, B, C, D, it's now A, B, D, C. And the D and the C get switched, so it's a different order, and that causes the next animal to have a different trait. You know, maybe it has something that the previous generations didn't have or has some better sense or it's, it's, it has some ability because of that DNA change that the previous generations did not have. We see this all the time in the animal kingdom. When we study uh, the geological records of all sorts of animals, when we study uh, genetics, when we study uh, anthropology, like we see this quite a bit. Um, there's lots and lots of changes that happen over the course of time. Most scientists refer to this as evolution, that there are that there are things evolving or that the animals are evolving. They're basically changing from generation to generation. And of course, it's not, you know, it's that it's not that easy just from one generation to the next. It's usually over the course of, you have these small, minute changes that are barely noticeable from generation to generation. But over the course of dozens of generations or hundreds of generations, all these tiny, minute changes, eventually down the line, you end up with an animal that looks very, very different than the original animal that it came from. So there's a there's there's a there's a there's a, an element of evolution taking place. There is strong, strong scientific evidence for this taking place, and to deny this seems extremely silly to me. So to answer Wesley's question, are there any biblical things that say? Uh, we should believe in microevolution? No, I don't think so. The Bible doesn't t you know, explicitly teach the concept of microevolution. It doesn't teach uh, this at all. But it doesn't say anything against it either. Like The Bible doesn't ever say this doesn't happen. So if the Bible is silent on something, we should believe the science. And the science is clear. These things do evolve. And given enough time, you do get species of animals that look very, very different. You get these types of animals that are very different, and we would then label them an entirely different species. The other major thing you see when you examine different generations of, of creatures and animals is genetic information dropping out of the genetic code. So let me go back to my silly example of ABCD. So let's say that same animal is giving birth to an to you know to its 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 offspring, um, and the original animal is A B C D its genetic code, but the uh, but the animal it gives birth to the the B as in boy drops out, so now it's just A C D like the parent was A B C D, this one is just A C D, 
And what we frequently see in humans and in all animals is from generation to generation, certain pieces of the genetic code that are not being utilized can frequently drop out. And sometimes when enough information drops out of the genetic code, you end up with a mutation. There's a particular trait. Maybe it changes someone's eye color. Maybe it changes um, you know, a particular feature that a particular person may have. This, the dropping out of pieces of the genetic code, which we have lots of scientific evidence for, causes traits in animals and creatures to change. Therefore, it outwardly looks like there's evolution taking place. Animals are changing from generation to generation, and you get down the line, um, they look very different. So the combination of the reordering of genetic information within uh, DNA and the dropping out of information, you have the combination of those two things. What you end up having is, uh, is animals that change rapidly over the course of time, and by the time you get down the line, you have an animal that looks very different, that can't even reproduce with the other types of animals. And we would now, in the world of science, the world of biology and taxonomy, we would just say, that's a different species now. And we give it a name. We give it a name, excuse me. And Isabel is right. Largely, those labels are man-made. We just sort of create those labels to help us understand the animals and to help organize them better. How does this speak to macroevolution? Now, the theory that is being proposed by most non-Christian uh, atheists, philosophers, and scientists is the idea that that we all came from one single-cell organism and it all kind of happened by chance over the course of hundreds of millions of years or billions of years. And the reality is that there's no evidence for this because in order for that to be true, you need new information to be added to the gene sequence. So if you have a single cell organism, again, going back to my silly DNA structure uh, example, if a single cell organism is A, that's it, that's their code, and a human is A, B, C, D, E, well, you only have A. The single cell organism can't give birth, can't produce offspring that now adds a B, a C, a D, or an E. Like that's new information and in genetic structure that has to be introduced or inserted. And there are people out there that will claim that that's the case. But here's what I've learned from what I've studied in genetics and what I've read about from the world of, 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 of biology, what I've learned from the world of anthropology, is the reality is that we've never seen this. No one has ever been able to prove at any point that new information gets added from generation to generation. What we do know for sure what happens is information gets rearranged and information drops out. And the combination of those two things certainly do cause an evolution of sorts over the course of time. But what we've never seen, and there's zero scientific evidence for, is the addition of new information into DNA structures. So if you're going to tell me there was one single cell organism billions of years ago that had this simple DNA structure and that, it, and that over the course of time, it spontaneously added new information to its own genetic code randomly with no source. If you're going to tell me that, then you better give me some really strong evidence. It can't just be circumstantial. It can't be fuzzy. It's got to be absolute ironclad. If you want me to believe that, 
you got to bring some strong evidence to the table. And I've done a lot of research and I've done a lot of reading. I've watched a lot of videos. I've talked to a lot of people. I'm not a professional scientist. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But I'm telling you, the evidence for that theory, for that concept, simply does not exist. If I'm wrong, I'd love to hear from someone out there. Feel free to shoot me an email with a book or papers that you believe have that information. From what I've seen out there, that information simply does not exist. There's no evidence for that. Therefore, the science tells me that I should embrace forms of evolution, but I should reject other forms of evolution. I absolutely embrace that over the course of a long period of time, animals and creatures evolve and they change so much over the course of time that we end up labeling them as a totally different species altogether. However, the idea that all animals on planet Earth today, that we all came from the same single cell organism or the same group of early organisms, that concept to me is simply unfounded. There's not evidence that I have seen that persuades me that that is true. What I think is more likely is that God, the creator of everything, created lots of different types of creatures, and that over the course of time, those creatures have indeed greatly evolved. And I think when I look at the scientific records and the evidence, and I look at the biblical narratives, I can combine those two, and what I conclude is that God created lots of different types of creatures And that those creatures have indeed evolved significantly because the DNA information is getting rearranged or pieces of information are dropping out. And the combination of those two things are indeed causing traits to change and for those animals to look different from generation to generation over the course of time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope it was helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the show, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. My email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.